Hey listeners, this is Matt. If you've been enjoying Distinct Poplar and would like to support it, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews go a long way to helping us find new listeners and increasing exposure, and I truly appreciate it. Welcome to Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and narrated by Matt Herzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This is episode 17 of series 1, How Will You Be? Chellin found herself on the Route 11 school bus when she should have been on the 22, marveling at how it was exactly she had ended up in this situation. Despite having done what she could to distance herself from Bree, now she was sitting next to her in the two-seater stitched leather seats, kinda sorta regretting her decision to help the girl one more time. It was true that Chellin figured that standing up to those locker room girls was the protection that Bree needed, but in fact it had ended up being something so much worse. I need you to beat up my mom, she had said, and Chellin hadn't known exactly how to take that. I mean, beat up somebody's mom? An adult? What did that mean exactly? What did Bree say about her, that she was hurting her own daughter somehow? But what was Chellen supposed to do about that? Just walk up, introduce herself, and pop Miss Van Neef in the jaw? Chellen had outright refused. I'm sorry, Bree, but I can't go and attack an adult. She had said, and yet the younger girl had begged her to just come over to her apartment, where she and her mom lived, just the two of them. Just come to my place and see for yourself, begged Bree. See what? Chellen had demanded. I don't know how to describe it. The younger girl had tried to explain something that made no sense. It's like she's becoming somebody else, a whole other person, and she's hurting me. Not like before, that I could deal with, but this, this is so much worse. I don't get it, admitted Chellen. She was hurting you before, but then she stopped, and now she's hurting you again, but it's worse? Bree gave her a half nod. But she's different now. Then she buried her head into her hands and started crying. Just please come to my place and see for yourself. I don't know who else to turn to. I don't know what else to do. Chellen couldn't help but sympathize with the younger girl's desperation and loss. After all, it wasn't like she could go to another adult. What would they say when Bree couldn't properly explain it to them, either? No, Chellen didn't trust adults, especially not teachers, because they just messed everything up and got in the way. And who else did the kid have? Nobody. 
What was most likely happening, as Chellen was starting to surmise, was that Bree was making it all up, whatever it was. Reason being that she was desperate to keep Chellen around because Chellen had tried to not be friends with her. This convoluted story about her mom was just an act, which Chellen guessed would be revealed when they finally did get to Bree's home. So, as the number 11 school bus pulled away from the curb of Kagger High with a muffler that sounded like it was filled with shotgun pellets, Chellen had to admit that she was Bree's one and only hope, because the kid thought Chellen was her one and only friend, which meant that distancing herself from the younger girl hadn't worked. This had the unmistakable feeling of making Chellen feel trapped. While they rode, Bree couldn't help herself as she was overcome with a jubilant observational joy when looking out the school bus window. At the moment, she was standing on her side of the seat with her face pressed up against the top part of the window and angled so that her vantage point was half-cocked. She did this so she could look up into the sky and marvel at the large train tracks that towered above the city's skyscrapers that supported Distinct Poplar's public transportation system. Through the haze of pollution, the younger girl occasionally caught a glimpse of it and the train that roared above on the rickety rails. When this happened, Bree openly squealed with delight. Isn't it amazing? She mentioned aloud, which Chellen could barely hear above the raucous chatter of each and every teenager aboard the Route 11 school bus yelling whatever it was they were most excited about at that particular moment. Luckily, there wasn't a single ROM on the Route 11, or Chellen would be forced to ignore Bree completely. So she disguised her response by rubbing at her face with open hands, like she was coughing or trying to smell her own breath. No, it's not amazing, Chellen informed her through cupped hands. The city rails are actually quite terrible. They're loud, and they fall apart a lot. Stuff comes loose all the time and hurts people below. Whoever thought it was a good idea to build a train system so far above the city must have been on drugs. She said this, realizing that she had no idea what it was like to be on drugs, but guessed that Bree didn't either, so she stuck with it. Then she added, my people have spent years trying to get it decommissioned and stripped down. Well, I think it's wonderful, exclaimed Debris as she threw out her legs and landed on her side of the two-seater like a trampoline, which only kind of sort of worked, but mostly annoyed Chellen to no end. There isn't anything like it where I'm from. Where are you from? asked Chellen. Not distinct poplar, that's for sure, Bree exclaimed. Well, that's obvious. Chellen retorted by sticking out her tongue. Nobody from this city that forgot to stay clean would be in love with the perilous public transportation system that ran above their heads. I'm from somewhere far enough away, but I'm not allowed to tell. Why is that? asked Chellen, more than a little annoyed. Bree got solemn for a moment. Because of my mom. She doesn't want anyone to know much about us in case... He finds out. Chellen took this in. Is he your dad? 
Probably. Bree shrugged. All I know is we used to live with him, and now we don't. That my mom says he's bad news. Bree changed her voice just then to impersonate her mother, just in time to push her glasses back in place on her tiny little nose. Chellen found this information to be oddly satisfying, to know something about her that she wouldn't have shared with just anyone. The two sat in silence then, until Bree ventured, Adults are pretty terrible. The worst, agreed Chellen and she started smiling hard through the sides of her mouth. It just couldn't be helped. Hanging out with Bree was a lot of fun. Chellen had to admit it to herself. The two seemed to have a natural correspondence where Chellen didn't feel it was necessary to think and rethink everything before she said it. With Bree, she just kind of blurted things out with no fear of something going wrong. The liberating feeling of it all was intoxicating. When the school bus had come to a screeching halt at Bree's stop, when the butterfly-shaped doors of the school bus extended open to let them free, Chellen realized that she was in a part of the city where she had never been before. The buildings were her first clue. They were mostly residential, with a few storefronts splattered along the busier parallel streets. But they were different than most other neighborhoods she had been to up to this point. They were run-down, boxy homes and huddled apartment buildings practically in shambles, with twisting walkways and small circular warped windows. The average roof of a house was a pattern of mismatched patchwork shingles, and most structures had large stone sculpted feet at the corners, as if the buildings themselves could rise up from the ground, stretch gingerly, and walk away at any moment. The other unmistakable feature of this neighborhood was the many piles of trash and oversized empty cardboard boxes that littered much of the open areas not occupied by the ramshackle buildings. There was so much of it, the trash and oversized cardboard, that Chellen imagined that there must be some sort of home delivery service for giants, and this was where they discarded the boxes for their oversized furniture, microwave ovens, and expensive televisions. It was telling that this was the state that this neighborhood was in. This was one of the many reasons why Distinct Poplar was known as the city that forgot to stay clean. For Distinct Poplar was a city known for its unique system of neighborhoods and the people that lived there, had always lived there for generations, and whose children would live there still. The few people she saw in this neighborhood had colored feathered plume collars on thick overcoats of brown, gray, and black. They wore thick circle sunglasses of deep blues and dark purples. They swung tarnished, broken pocket watches from the yellow thumb tips of their fingerless gloves. And on their heads, they wore bright blue bonnets for women and blue handkerchiefs for men. 
many of them rooted around in dumpsters and piles of refuse, poking at things with long curved sticks that must have come from long curved branches of some impossibly twisted tree. Chellen couldn't tell what neighborhood she was in, so she slowly made her way down the steps with a stomach that was turning over and over upon itself at the idea of being in such an unfamiliar territory. She answered this discomfort by jumping the very last step, landing on the curb with her big black combat boots firmly planted on the cracked sidewalk. Crouched down, she marveled at the spiderweb pattern of broken concrete beneath her and secretly imagined that she was responsible for it, as if she had left with such tremendous strength that the world beneath her shattered from her awesomeness. Bree followed her out and jumped as well, but because her legs were so much shorter, the younger girl barely made it onto the curb, almost twisting her ankle in the process. Chellen had to reach out and grab her by the top of her backpack, pulling her away from the street and back to safety, lest the bus crush her from the curbside like an animal, trapped under its massive tires. Bree gave her two thumbs up as Chellen reeled her back in. The bus driver, however, didn't seem to care, gnashing at a smelly, old, snuffed-out cigar, eagerly between yellowed teeth. This was his last stop on a very long day. He snapped the doors closed quickly with a flick of a lever, which wound them back into place with a loud bang that made the two girls jump. Before the bus sped away from the curb, its exhaust pipe growled like a sick animal. His thick smoke blanketed everything around them. Then Bree grabbed Chellen by the arm and began walking quickly down the sidewalk as the people in the feathered collared overcoats began to take notice of them. Junk mites, explained Bree, without Chellen even asking. They're mostly harmless, she told the older girl as they quickened their pace. Mostly. The men and women she had named poked their faces out of whatever collection of refuse they were investigating and turned their heads slowly from side to side, watching the two girls with dubious intent. What neighborhood is this? asked Chellen. I've never been here before. I don't remember, stated Bree flatly. My mom told me once, but I forgot. You don't even know what neighborhood you lived in? asked Chellen in disbelief. I prefer not to, commented Bree. Just at that moment, a junk mite, as Bree had called them, broke away from the rest and the trash pile they were sifting through. He made his way towards the two girls, bobbing his head and extending his neck like a drunk bird. Got any spirit change? The junk mite asked with a squealing voice. The sound made the hairs on Chellen's arms stand up on end as the man encrusted in condiment stains and bird droppings continued. Need change, need change, he said with a gathering intensity as he attempted to stand in front of them, barring their path. Need a drink, need a drink, need change for a stiff drink. 
Got any spare change? When he moved, the green and yellow feathers on his collar trembled, as if they could come loose and fly free, if only there were but a stiff breeze to help them along. It was then that the smell of the man had wafted over them, a sour stench of sweat, of rotting food and old diapers marinating in garbage bag filled with formaldehyde. Chellen had no choice but to raise her sleeves up to her face and clamp it down over her nose, as if her very right to breathe had just been compromised. But Bree didn't react as Chellen did. Quite the opposite, actually. Bree made no motion to move away in disgust, or to cover her nose and mouth. She simply started talking to the junk mite, talking to him as if they were friends. How do you do, good sir? How will you be? she asked. The junk mite man paused and bobbed his head. No sir am I, he answered. I'd roll up my sleeves and get to work. Then he eyed Bree for a moment with a blank stare from his purple-colored circle-lined sunglasses. How do you do, young lady? He squeaked as if not entirely sure what Bree was exactly, then said the other part in response. How will you be? No lady am I, answered Bree with a well-practiced tone. I roll up my sleeves, and I get to work. But I ask you first, now how will you be? The junk mite took this in for a moment, considering whatever it was that the two of them had said to each other, though none of it had made much sense to Chellen, if she was completely honest. They will be civil, he responded politely, provided young girl has something of value to trade. He then held out a partially gloved hand with the palm open skyward. Perhaps a Beckett... A smith, even a few aerolines. Chellen only recognized one of those words. A becket was a coin of moderate value in the city of distinct poplar, but truth be told, she had no idea what a smith was, or what a few aerolines added up to. That is, if they were currency of any sort. I don't have any money, but I do have something very special I found, announced Bree as she pulled from her pockets an object that Chellen might have seen on the faded blue canvas at the bottom of the empty swimming pool back at school. One of the things cluttered amongst the locket that Chellen had found interesting, but ultimately had returned the trinket out of guilt. What Bree presented to the junk mite instead was a glass tile about the size of a matchbox, which had not been on the canvas with the rest of her found treasures. It was a beautiful turquoise square of thick glass, semi-transparent, smooth to the touch, and surrounded by a thin outline of white grout from wherever Bree had gotten it from. Now she ran her fingers over its surface before presenting it to the junk mite who grinned a wild smile of brown bean teeth when she dropped it into his awaiting palm. This will do, he stated triumphantly. This will do nicely. 
The junk mite then turned and waddled ahead of them, shooing away any others who might attempt to challenge them for their own something special. When they had made their way past the group of them, and were walking a bit slower and not as on edge as they probably should have been, Chellin took a deep breath of relief and said, Do you have to do that every time you get home from school? Not every time, answered Bree flatly, but often enough. Do they ever try to... Try to what? You know, hurt you? Chellin asked. They tried, answered Bree flatly again, but Chellin couldn't figure out how the girl could act so matter-of-fact about the whole ordeal. Where they were now was certainly not a great part of the city for two high school girls to be. It was dirty, covered in debris, and dangerous, and even more potentially dangerous than the rest of the city of distinct Poplar. Which, if she was being honest, Chellen wouldn't feel completely safe in any part of the city that forgot to stay clean. Here, however, wherever this was, the junk mites were this neighborhood's riffraff, and Chellen wondered how many close calls Bree had actually had with them, and how had Bree put it, mostly harmless? Well, Chellen couldn't disagree more with that observation. Then Bree stopped them in front of a building that was in particularly bad shape compared to most others. The exterior brickwork was cracked beyond repair, and almost all of the oddly warped windows were barred shut, protruding from the building's facade like puckered pimples waiting to be popped. The chain-link fence that wound around the building looked as though it had been mangled and folded over itself. The small patch of front yard space had no grass or seed, and instead was a wet and muddy miniature quagmire, just waiting to capture a boot or two. Also, the front door was busted open permanently, and there was a blackout drunk junkmite woman passed out in the doorway. When it would be time to step over her, Chellen noticed immediately that the woman had soiled her clothes with vomit, and her own urine. We're here. This is where I live, Bree said, trying to sound as upbeat as possible. Then she added, Try not to disturb Melga, referring to the junk mite woman in the doorway. One time I accidentally woke her up, and she tried to choke me to death on the stairs. Tillin couldn't keep the shock from her face as she snapped a look at Bree, just to make sure she wasn't joking. Are you serious? She asked the younger girl. Bree's solemn expression and wandering gaze of embarrassment spoke volumes. Chellen tried to keep her eyes from bulging out of her head as she stammered, w -w What did you do? Bree shrugged. Their eyes met once again. I just sat down backwards on the steps. I put my hands in my pockets and I flung all of the stuff I had all over the floor. Then Melga let go and went after the pocket stuff. At that moment, it was as if Chellen could suddenly see the bruised flesh around Bree's neck. Was it a trick of the light, some allergic reaction of her skin? Or had Chellen just been too wrapped up in her own crap to take notice before? 
the faint red and puffy flesh seemed to be lightly spotched with fading purplish-yellow, where the bruising had set in. Tellen instantly thought back to when she had noticed Bree's odd behavior when sitting at her desk in their world machines of wonderment class. Bree had sat straight back, immobile, as if stuck in place, almost as if it was too painful to move. Bree, started Chellen, overwhelmed by the everything of it all. Why do you and your mom live here? Why don't you guys just move or whatever? Bree pushed her glasses up to her tiny nose once again as she searched for the best possible way to explain it. When a lengthy explanation didn't come, she just shrugged her shoulders and went with the most simple answer. Because, Chellen, we're poor. If you've been enjoying Distinct Poplar, we would love to hear about it. Please consider rating and reviewing us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you found our stories. Positive reviews go a long way to helping us find new listeners, and we truly appreciate it. You've been listening to Series 1, Episode 17, How Will You Be? Written and narrated by Matt Herzberg and copyright Wednesday, September 26th, 2018. The music for this episode is by Puddle of Infinity and Dan Bowden. For more stories like this one, as well as ebooks and more information about the city that forgot to stay clean, check us out online at www.distinctpoplar.com or through our social media. Just search for Distinct Poplar on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stop by. Say hello.